You're listening to the Cars of Carlisle Network, podcast episode number 164, featuring special guest Sean Day of Stinger Motorsport. Cars of Carlisle is your favorite internationally downloaded podcast about all things automotive. Darren and his CFC team are ever searching for interesting automotive happenings, real stories about real car people, and fun features to inform and entertain you. Each week, the Cars of Carlisle crew brings you show topics ranging from car shows to team adventures to auto racing weekends to behind-the-scenes human interest stories from car nuts that live across town, across the country, or even across the globe. Come join the road trip. Today, ride along to the Detroit area to meet Sean Day, the visionary behind Stinger Motorsport, a group of automotive enthusiasts with a passion for high-performance vehicles and multiple forms of racing. As the Stinger Motorsport website notes, Sean and his fellow crew members are real people tackling the extreme from behind the wheel. Whether it be lapping at Germany's Nürburgring or Belgium Spa, to rock crawling, to going flat out down the quarter mile or across desert terrain. It's time to head to Motor City to hear great car stories from Sean Day. So, let's get revved up. Hello and welcome back, Cubers, to your favorite informative automotive podcast. I am your trusted host, Darren. As always, it's so good to have you back with us on this latest audio road trip. Remember, this is your podcast. Together, it's all about car community, car culture. Today, I'm excited for you to hear great stories and background information from Detroit-based racer and Ford employee, Sean Day. Hey, but first, don't go anywhere. This episode's trivia question is ready for the green flag to drop. We'll be gone for just 60 seconds, and then we'll get right to that. Right now, we would like to proudly mention our official OEM sponsor, Porsche Mechanicsburg. In the market for a Macan, Cayenne, 718, or 911, Porsche Mechanicsburg will match you with the perfect vehicle from their extensive inventory of pre-owned and new models. When it comes to service on these magnificent machines, their record of quality workmanship is unmatched with a staff of mechanics whose prowess in all facets of Porsche engineering is world-class. These are all time-tested trademarks that have been part of the Faulkner Auto Group since 1932. 2021 will witness an expansion of their sales and service excellence with the now-completed new state-of-the-art Porsche Center. Located at 6625 Carlisle Pike, Porsche Mechanicsburg is the destination when ready to make that dream a reality. Parked in your driveway. All right, let's go to this episode's trivia challenge. Okay, it's a multiple choice question for this episode, and it is this. In what motorsport discipline is the race the king of the hammers? Is it A, land speed record holding race, B, off-road racing, C, road circuit racing, or D, drag racing? That answer, along with some explanation, awaits at the end of this episode. It's time to get on the studio phone line to the Dearborn, Detroit area to speak with my friend, Sean Day. Hello, Cubers. This is Darren, and I am on the phone this weekend. This is a Sunday morning interview with Sean Day. Sean, welcome. Thanks for being part of the Cars of Carlisle show. Hey, good morning. Happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. It is great. Sean is the PDO, or that is the product-driven organization, so the PDO Transformation Expedition Lead at Ford Motor Company as well as the 
president and lead driver for Stinger Motorsport, and uh, you are just immersed in the FOMO Co. and, and the Blue Oval, and we've, we've talked before. It's just, I am excited to have you on the show to hear more about some of those great stories and, and just to understand your journey uh, of being a car guy and, and all that you've done. And, and you've seen every angle of the motorsport world, which is not many can say they've done that. And you've done it from behind the wheel through your crash on it. That is true. I will tell you, sorry about that Ford job title being a bit of a mouthful, huh? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I know. When you see it in an email signature, it's like, oh my goodness, you have to word wrap this to multiple lines. So, so yeah, no, I've, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, people talk about bleeding blue, you know, because of the Ford Oval or whatever, but uh, it's, it's kind of true with this one. Uh, I grew up in a Ford house. My, my father worked for the company and uh, he was a uh, director of motors, Ford Motorsport in the early 1980s. So I, I grew up at the racetrack and he was then in marketing after that. And I used to go down to the Renaissance Center in Detroit, which is actually GM's headquarters now, but it, little known fact, it was a partnership between Henry Ford II and the city of Detroit to build it. And so Ford had offices there for years. And I basically grew up in that building. I even had a little, I even had a security badge at like 10 years old uh, to get around unabated through that building. So, uh, so no, I, uh, I definitely am cars all the time uh, to, to the, uh, to the you know amazement of some, I actually don't ever turn off my carness. But uh, but yeah, no, I've really enjoyed the oval. It's been good to me. I'm glad to be back. Uh, I was uh, racing full time, and then the pandemic happened. And uh, you know, your when your business model is tailored around five to a hundred thousand people being in one place at one time, mm-hmm. and that becomes not a thing very quickly. That uh, that becomes not financially viable very quickly. So I was really really honored to be frank when the oval came calling and said, uh, and in their words, they said, why don't you come quote home? And that felt pretty darn good. That's, that's phenomenal. And it says a lot to the work that you were able to do for them in years past in order to earn that. Well, I mean, it certainly wasn't my darling good look, so it must've been something. (laughs) (laughs) So, but no, it's, it's really nice to be back. Yeah. I spent uh, my first years at, when I was at Ford, I was, dream come true. My very first job at Ford, I was program management for the 2013, 2014 Shelby GT 500, the last, what I consider the last of the, the good old fashioned muscle cars. Yeah. Tell and, more, uh, talk more about that, Sean. So that's the craziest deal. So how I got that job was just, just silly. Um, I graduated college in uh, 2008 after a, a difficult run through uh, higher education. Classroom was never really my thing. Mm-hmm. So it took me, it took me eight years to get my bachelor's degree. I failed out of college twice, actually. Um, and uh, eventually just had what I call uh, a, f- a conversation in a phone booth with myself and said, nope, we're done with this. Uh, mm-hmm. Woke up one day in a job I didn't like in the mortgage industry and went, what are you doing? And uh, I quit my job on two days notice and went back to school 72 hours later because it just so happened that that's when the semester break was. And uh, went back to the same school that kicked me out, Northwood University, Uh, took 24 credit hours at a time, rocked it out, got my bachelor's, only to graduate in the middle of the recession. (laughs) And so there were no automotive jobs to be had. So I worked at AT AT&T and mobility in network engineering because a guy I did open track days with uh, needed somebody to do a job and somebody who was 
uh, a techie, which I am, and that'll come back up in the Ford thing in a minute. Um, and he said, I can teach his exact quote was I can teach a monkey this job, but what I can't teach, he said, a technical monkey, he said, I can teach a technical monkey this job, but what I can't teach is a work ethic and an attitude. And you have those. So come give me three good years and then go get your Ford job. And I just yeah. chuckled because everybody kept saying that like this Ford job was some foregone conclusion. I'm like, I have no idea how I'm going to get there. <laughs> and uh, so I went over there. <clears throat> And I, uh, I busted butt. And then I also started uh, a master's program while I was at AT&T. And I ended up finishing that master's program when I got to Ford. So I now went from two-time college failout to master's educated. So I'm kind of proud of that. Nice. Um, and so then it's time to start thinking about coming to Ford, right? And I, I got to figure out how to try and pull this off and whatnot. And in the background, I've now done well enough financially, you know, as a younger guy there to be able to afford to buy a brand new Mustang. And this is when the 2011 Mustangs were coming out with the new Coyote motor in them, you know? Oh yeah. And I was smitten. I was sold. And uh, some internal friends from Ford, I'd known about the Coyote and that it was really going to be a huge step forward. So I'd been saving. And so I ordered one and through a bizarre set of circumstances involving a car breaking a quality control shipping hold, my mom ended up with the first publicly held 2011 Mustang. And this has nothing to do with my dad working at the company. My dad had been retired for years by then. It was literal okay. blind luck. And uh, I posted about it on an internet forum board. <laughs> and uh, Ford was monitoring that board. And they were like, oh God, that car got out. It wasn't supposed to. <laughs> um, and somebody went running to the dealership to change a part in it the next day. But then they also reached out to the owner, uh, which is my mom. And then they said, hey, you want to come down to a plant tour? And then my mom mentioned about my car being on order and they got a hold of me and they ended up pulling my car ahead and having it built and presenting it to me at the assembly plant by the chief engineer. And again, this has nothing to do with my dad. This was Ford going further for a random enthusiast. Wow. And the contacts that I made that day, I made sure to keep in touch with, right? Because this world is based on relationships. Yes, indeed. And through a bizarre set of circumstances, the contacts that I made that day ended up turning into me working at Ford SVT. Um, yeah, there was a random issue with the 2011 Mustang that ended up being a, a, a larger issue with the car that they sorted out later. Uh, and my car was the first retail car to do it. And so that's when I met the launch and quality manager. His name's Alex Prisbienda. And we became friends. And apparently I must have impressed him because he then went on to become the uh, program manager for the GT 500 Mustang. Okay. The Shelby. And he's like, I want you to come work for me. And I'm like, I want to come work for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, back then Ford had an HR policy that if your most recent degree, you did not have a 3.00 GPA, they couldn't even interview you no matter what. Wow. And so somebody who had literally spent every single waking moment for the past, I don't know, this was what, 2011. So that would have made me 29, something like that, born in 82. Um, who had spent every single waking moment dedicating his entire life to working for Ford Motor Company was being told, you can't even be interviewed because your undergrad was too low. Wow. And uh, because I wasn't done with my master's yet, we couldn't use my GPA for my master's. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And so <clears throat> to Alex's credit, and I owe this man my entire Ford career, literally. He saw potential in me and he believed in me 
And so he skirted the system okay. and had Roush uh, Engineering Services hire me as a, and then had me start doing the job I was going to do, but as purchase service. So like I was doing the same job at the same desk, just my paycheck came from Roush and Ford paid Roush for my services. That makes sense. And, uh, and uh, it was funny, my AT&T stuff on my resume Roush was like, we don't understand this guy. We have people more qualified than him. We don't understand him. We're not just going to blindly hire him. We need to interview him. Right. They get pulled into a Roush conference room. <laughs> and, uh, guy walks in and he goes to sit down with me. He, he closes the door. He hasn't even sat down yet. And he goes, I don't understand why I have to talk to you. I have people more qualified than you. Your resume and your background don't make sense. <clears throat> why do I need to talk to you? And then he just shut up. Wow. 25 minutes later, he was giving me a tour of the building. <clears throat> wow. And so I got the job. And then nine months later, Alex held true to his word and got me converted into a full-fledged, you know, uh, real Ford employee. That's amazing. And, uh, the rest is history, I suppose. And then after that, we went on to do GT350 and 350R. And then I went on to a role in marketing sales and service there for a while. And, uh, then went racing full time. And then now I'm, I'm back at Ford. And uh, so the first time that I was at Ford, I had to kind of explain away the AT&T thing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now what that giant job title of a thing that you mentioned at the front, what that means, I work in Ford's enterprise connectivity department. <clears throat> so think ways that your vehicle can impact your life that aren't necessarily it driving from A to B. So it started off with things like Ford Pass, where you could remote start, unlock and lock your vehicle from your phone, you know, pretty basic stuff, right? Um, that's how enterprise connectivity got its start. Now we're moving into things like uh, telematics dashboards for fleet customers so they can see how are their vehicles used? How can they uh, minimize maintenance costs and maximize uptime and things that actually add value to the customer's life? And we're now looking at all of our customers' lives, both the retail customer, people like you and I, the fleet customer, et cetera, and trying to find creative ways to add value to their life and also be more of an ongoing part of their life than just, we'll see you when you buy a car and we'll see you again, you know, however many years ago. <laughs> yeah. No, not even then. Like, you know, when, uh, when you want to buy a car three years later, okay, bye. You know, we're trying to find ways to be more a part of your life than that and add value to your life, not just be a part of your life. And that's what I'm working on right now is software features and development that complement our vehicles or maybe even enhance them. Um, and so that's a new space for Ford, right? I mean, we're a 118 year old car company, you know, to think about acting like a Silicon Valley player. I mean, heck, even to look at using an agile software development model is very different than the waterfall style product development that we use for our hard, for our hard parts. But because I'd worked at Ford before, uh, they were specifically not looking for previous Ford employees because they didn't want people who are indoctrinated with the Ford way of thinking because you can't break the mold if you put the same cookie in the mold, right? That makes sense. Yes, of course. But they looked at my background in telecom, which has gone from a liability to now an asset. (laughs) True. I guess even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. (laughs) Um, So, and then I say, well, look, yes, I realized that I worked at the company before, but you have to remember. So I worked at SVT, special vehicle team. This was before it turned into Ford performance. Okay. I I had dinner the other day with the old chief functional engineer for SVT, Kerry Baldori, good friend of mine, great guy. 
and uh, we were we were I guess reminiscing romantically about the SVT days, right? And uh, when I started at SVT in 2011, we were like we couldn't remember the exact number, but it was either 34 or 38 people total. And we delivered the Shelby Mustang, the Raptor F-150, the ST Focus, and the ST Fiesta in the United States with 38 people. Oh, my gosh. How cool is that? That is really cool. Well, but here's the thing. <clears throat> when you're in a giant company like Ford and there's all sorts of you know, processes and such and bureaucratic reasons why things have to be done, you can't do that and follow the rules. Mm-hmm. And that's what the S in SVT meant. It meant special. Mm-hmm. And it was literally created in 1992. First vehicle was the 1993 Cobra um, by Neil Ressler and uh, Bob Rui, literally to break the rules. That was specifically what it was set up to do. Ignore and break the rules and make cool stuff. Yes, sir. We can do that. Yeah. And so I told, you know, enterprise connectivity look i came from the maverick department and i had a bit of a reputation of being a maverick within mavericks um (laughs) well i basically had like a couple of of steadfast rules and if it was outside of these rules i didn't care what it took i'd get it done the first rule nobody gets physically hurt (laughs) yeah right the second rule no u.s or international laws are broken yeah (laughs) you know And the third rule is it never paints Ford in a negative light in the press, Mm -hmm. the ex the external press. I don't care about the internal press. I could care less about that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Past that, I don't care about your rules. I don't care about your feelings. All that matters is that we give the customer the most, I can't say it any other way, but badass product that we can give them. Mm -hmm. The rest is just noise. And I don't have the time to hear it because at SVT, they gave us about 10 minutes and about $4 to develop a vehicle. Wow. And, and so all that other stuff, I don't have time for your BS. Let's just build cool stuff. And I only care about what's right for the end customer. The rest is just, I don't want to hear it. Wow. And I was like, go ask all my previous managers and such. And I was very fortunate that a lot of people that I'd worked with back in the SVT days were willing to write me some letters of recommendation and such. And, uh, and they went back and they're like, yeah, you do have a reputation for that. <laughs> and, uh, and they gave me the job, which was pretty cool. So something else that I'm kind of proud of there, though, is that that's the second time that I've gotten into Ford Motor Company under strange circumstances. And I did it all on, on my own. This was not my dad had nothing to do with this. Uh, you know, like he didn't help me get in the first time anything. He'd been long retired by then. And my father and I have a complex relationship as it is. So I'm super, super proud that I was able to pull off two very bizarre scenarios to come in and then grab the horn, you know, the bull by the horns and really try and affect some change for the people who buy our cars and trucks. That's oh, what yeah. keeps, that's what, that's what makes me tick. Absolutely. Well, it almost seems like you got to <laughs> almost think there's got to be some kind of universal pull or something happening to, to give you, I mean, just you've, some, it's like somebody's looking out for you in a way. And it's, you know, like- how, you know, how I equate it, Darren, is that uh, sometimes people will tell me that I'm lucky. And I hate that word because yeah. luck is luck is all luck is, is when preparation meets uh-huh. opportunity. Yes. And when, when I talked about, like, I spent every waking minute, you know, uh, getting ready for this, like, I'm not joking. I put up a picture on my Facebook the other day of me at like six years old. My parents took this picture of me. I fell asleep in my bed and I'm reading something. 
And uh, am I reading Hello Moon? No. I'm reading the NHRA season end in review for Kenny Bernstein's funny car program because he was running a Ford at the time. And uh, I used to take and whenever there would be like a press launch kit for a new vehicle, my dad would bring them home and I would take them to school and I would get caught reading new brochures and looking at 35 millimeter slides and the light and stuff and studying every aspect of every Ford vehicle. Like it was every single waking moment of my life. Uh, how old were you when you were found in bed with that, uh, that on your chest? Uh, that was like five or six, but that's just yeah. the photo. I mean, I was into it way sooner than that. I mean, the very first, the very first toy I was ever given was a plush blue stuffed car and Every single toy I had that you could put a sticker on had a Ford Motorsport sticker on it when I was a kid. And uh, so, yeah, I didn't have a choice, man. I was going to be a car guy and I would, and I can't be happier for it. I have met the best human beings in the world through the car culture. I have found them to be the most caring, loving, and genuine people I've ever known. I remember you saying uh, when we talked a couple weeks back that really car people are in, in your estimation the best people and it's it's a it's a family unlike anything else. I think that's why I'm I'm so drawn to with my podcast car community car culture. It's it's the the people that I I really am so proud to be part of mm-hmm. and it's the 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 vehicles themselves are essentially the, the the binder or the tool that kind of brings us all together. We've we've, us, we've all talked about it where you've got the 16 year old who's uh, making $14 an hour standing next to the billionaire who's in his, his or her seventies or eighties. And they're relatable. They're talking yep. about that, that 427 under the hood and, and talking about the high rise manifold and they don't look at each other. Uh, there's not an age difference. There's not nope. Nothing. It's, it's, it's the equalizer. The other thing I found is that, you know, like people in every community, they band together, right? So like if you're in the music community or, you know, whatever, right? But the thing that I found different about car people is that when it comes time to put your money where your mouth is about really supporting someone when they need help, mm-hmm. like car people will show up, you know, like you've got a car that needs to be at an event and you're crashing to thrash and get it ready and you're not going to make it. And you're like, Oh my gosh. And you put out the bat phone or, you know, put out the bat signal mm-hmm. and people come running or yeah. like you're at an event and a car breaks down at the side of the road, you know, like people will throw away the rest of the day, their day to help someone they don't even know mm-hmm. get back up on the road. And that is a level of dedication there. There's the difference right there. It's that level of, real dedication to helping people you don't know, or just people in the culture. It's so cool. Well, you've, you've had obviously some rough times with, uh, with Stinger just because yeah. you said that the change in, in the model or the model, you know, the world, yeah, the, <laughs> world the world changed, of course. But yeah. did you find that, um, that practice in, in action in the sense that you weren't, uh, abandoning and your friends, no, and your, not at all. They stood there and realized, Hey man, sorry that you're going through this, but we're not going to close the door and, and turn our back on you. So, so first off, so, so where did, uh, yes, I'll get back. So, so where did Stinger come from? Stinger was, I was racing on my, uh, on my own, on my own nickel as a Ford employee back in the day. And, uh, I wanted to kind of put a name to our efforts and, uh, Stinger is something that goes back to my childhood. Uh, and, and so it was just a no brainer. There's going to be Stinger Motorsport and whatnot. 
and it manifested itself and grew really well and started off in road racing. And then we ended up in road racing and off-road racing running uh, ultra four king of the hammers, the world's most extreme off-road racing. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It did, um, just get a quick uh, 30 second yeah. definition on that. Cause it's, it's both crawling and high speed desert. Running. Yeah. So two things that used to be very diametrically posed, right? You know, a rock crawler goes slow and has extreme articulation and stuff. and it'll go up anything, but it doesn't go anywhere fast. Right. And then desert stuff like trophy trucks, they go super fast, but they don't climb, you know, like they just don't do that. Um, Ultra four combines the two disciplines, which is from an engineering and technical standpoint, extraordinarily difficult. Oh yeah. Um, But that's what drew me and stinger to that is that it was it was a technical challenge and look being in detroit and being friends with uh, a lot of some extraordinarily brilliant people at ford motor company Mm -hmm. um you know look we might not be out west because that's typically where most off-road racing is based out of but they don't call us the motor city for nothing darren and uh you know, we went, so finishing King of the Hammers is, is a badge of honor. They have like an 85% plus uh, attrition rate at that race. And there are some people last year, uh, or I'm sorry, in 2020, when we raced, we lined up against a guy, super nice dude, but it was his ninth attempt to finish the race. Wow. Uh, Stingers run King of the Hammers three times, twice with us owning the car and prepping it. And the first year I rented the car that I later bought. Um, and years two and three, when we prepped the cars ourselves, we finished. So we have a, we have a 66.66666% success rate in finishing that race. Not bad for a couple of guys out of Detroit, huh? Not at all. So, and I I attribute that solely to a bunch of brilliant people here in Detroit who know cars better than anybody. Yeah. And it's not like you're living in Moab where you can just go out your back door and try. There's no testing. Yeah. We were like, well, (laughs) here we go. But, but back to your, when, so that's when times are good, right? You know, everybody wants to hang around when times are good. Uh, but when times were bad, right? So Stinger hits hard times because of the pandemic. And, and frankly, we ended up with getting, uh, getting evicted out of our shop, right? You know, I mean, it sucked. It was terrible, especially watching something that was your, your child effectively, right? You know, you built from the ground up. When that happened and I had to move all the stuff out or whatever, I had my phone was blowing up with, hey, I can come this night or not that night, or I can come these nights, or do you need more help? I can bring people. Do you have enough trailers? Do you need this? Do you need that? And I mean, it was so cool. I mean, you want to talk about feeling the love? Yeah. That's when you're at the bottom, right? And then they come running. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty cool, man. That's pretty cool. You better believe it. Yeah. You better believe it. It's, you don't really know who you're two or three in the morning friends are until you go through a terrible uh, storm like that and, and you don't know both ways the people you think are going to show up for sure who don't and you're like huh that's interesting and then the people that you never think would or wouldn't have even considered even asking and they're like i'm there every night what are you talking about that's right or why didn't you call me sooner yeah exactly man it's super cool i really dig it yeah that's so terrific well what uh what is your hope? Like going, we've talked about um, now. You're you're back at Ford and everything. Yep. What are you looking to do? Where do you see Stinger? Where do you see yourself? Two, three, four years from now. So, Darren, my whole life since I was five, I wanted to work for Ford. Right. I never wanted to be a fireman or a cowboy or whatever. Right. And I had everything all planned out. And then school didn't work. And then I ended up at AT and T. And I did all these things. But yet, when I still got the Ford, I was like. 
I know what I'm doing. It's this, it's this, it's this. I was so prescriptive. Life, I sound like I'm like getting older, trying to get wiser, at least, you know, <laughs> as life has changed, I am being less prescriptive. So when you tell me in the next two years, mm, I probably, I'll still be at Ford. Uh, yeah. I have no idea if Stinger will be rebuilt by then. Um, I would like to someday if it's, if it's actually financially feasible, I don't, I couldn't tell you, Darren. I don't know. That's true. Um, but if you, you start asking about five plus buddy, I got no idea. Um, None of I, us do really. Yeah. I will tell you that, you know, I do know, and everyone who knows me knows I, I either, I go all in on anything that I do, or I just don't do it at all. And right. I can tell you that wherever I go, it'll be at full throttle. Um, but I can't necessarily tell you where that's going to be right now. And you know what? For the first time in my life, that doesn't terrify me. It soothes me. That's good. That's really good. That says to me that there's a whole lot of wisdom coming through. That- oh, I don't know about that. Well, I think so. Because- Wisdom's a big word, buddy. <laughs> I'm feeling generous. I'm feeling Thank generous. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'll take it. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think that. Sometimes you have to loosen the uh, the grip on the reins a little bit for things to things. To yeah. I mean, you know, it was just the, the past. Okay. The, the next like two minutes are going to be a little bit, they're going to sound like a sob story, but I promise you that they're not. Um, the past 15 months or so I found what is my rock bottom. I'm 38 years old. And at like 37, 38, I found rock bottom. It sucked. Um, you know, I, I was told I was six months from having a heart attack and dying. Uh, I was having respiratory issues, a whole bunch, and it was all stress related and physical. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was told that this stuff was going to happen. So I made some life changes. Right. And I made them like that day, not like I actually did start making those changes that day. Since then I've lost 66 pounds, uh, went from a size 38 waist to a 30. Well, um, you've told me some of this, but share with the <laughs> listeners, because that's the thing you, you absolutely turned on a dime. I think yeah. people will be interested to know what you did on that first day. So, you know, I, uh, I'd gotten really heavy, uh, not eating well and stressing out and all this other stuff. And I started to have heart problems. Uh, my heart started racing. I would wake up with beats per minute above 110 when I would become conscious and I'd be sitting at my desk, stressing out about stinger falling apart at 145 beats per minute, just sitting at my desk and, uh, started seeking some medical help for it and whatnot. And I had a doctor look at me and go, do you want to see 39? And I said, I'm like 38 and a half. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, are you telling me that I could die? And she goes, yeah. Oh my. And I was like, Oh my God. I never thought I'd be talking about mortality at 38. Um, yeah, and then right. she goes, you need to cut some stress out of your life. Like right now. And because I was kind of stressed out, I snapped at her and I said, look, if I knew how to do that, I wouldn't be sitting in front of you. Uh-huh. And I, in hindsight, I'm like, oof. Um, but to her credit, she came about halfway across the table at me and uh-huh. she goes, and how's that working out for you? And I remember sitting back in my chair and going, oh, touche. Because <laughs> yeah. it was exactly how I needed to hear it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and uh, that very day, I took and completely changed my diet. I changed my sleeping habits. Um, and well, I... You, you cut out sugars? What, like, yep. I cut out... So I had a massive sweet tooth. Massive. Uh-huh. And uh, I stopped eating sweets that day. 
And I started being sugar conscious on labels. I didn't cut it out like all the way because you can't avoid it. It's in everything. Um, but I just started reading labels. And so I did not cut out any food groups. I still eat carbs. I still eat everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I eat it in moderation now. I mean, I was eating somewhere above 3,700 calories a day, up to 4,000 and a ton of sugar. And I'm down to like between 12 and 1400 today. And I might have nine to 10 grams of sugar a day. Um, but I still eat carbs, you know, I'll still eat, but everything's in moderation. Uh, one of, one of the engineers that I worked with at SVT was, a was a division one football player and his wife is a bodybuilder. Uh, and I had asked them for advice and they were like, look, if anything has the word diet in it, stay away from it because it's not sustainable. You know, food groups are food groups for a reason. Your body wants these things. And it'll also not set you up for success. If it's something ultra restrictive or whatever, um, you're going to have a hard time keeping with it. And so sticking with it is way more important than being perfect in what you intake. And that has turned out to be darn good advice. When this first started, I started craving meat a lot. Uh, and I started just listening to what my body said. And there was one morning, super early in the morning, cause I started getting up around 4am, 4.30am and getting up and going and stuff. And my body was craving a hamburger or a cheeseburger for whatever reason. And it was just, that's just what it wanted. And I never ate breakfast before, which was ne- which is not healthy. And, uh, I was like, screw it. So I got in the car and went to a Meyer, which is a 24 hour, uh, mm-hmm. store, kind of like a Walmart kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I got the stuff to make a burger and I came home and made a, a hand, you know, homemade hamburger cheeseburger and grilled it and whatever and ate it. And <clears throat> I started having one every single morning because it, it made me want to eat breakfast where I, I never want to eat breakfast. Wow. And I remember going to the doctor and I'm like, okay, so good news, bad news. And she's like, what's that? And I'm like, I found a way to get myself to eat breakfast and I'm trying to develop a good habit right now. She goes, what's the bad news? And I'm like, what I'm eating. <clears throat> and she goes, and I tell her, and she's like, what's wrong with that? And I'm like, what? And she goes, well, I mean, we need to keep checking your blood work to make sure your cholesterol doesn't get out of hand. But as long as your cholesterol doesn't get out of hand, what's wrong with eating that in the morning? She goes, it's protein. Mm-hmm. It's, it's meat. It's whatever. It's something you actually eat. Um, what's actually wrong with that? And then my mindset just broke and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That's right. And so I started doing that kind of, and also eating way more frequently and smaller portions throughout the day. That makes sense. Um, and that alone without exercise accounted for 52 to 54 pounds of the weight loss. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy, man. And so uh, I was having some respiratory issues and it was caused by my weight. I carry all my weight between the bottom of my rib cage and my hips. Mm-hmm. And I become so um distended because I was very firm, even though I was sticking out to all know, you know, big Buddha belly, but it was super firm. Mm -hmm. It was pressing down on my diaphragm so hard. My diaphragm couldn't overcome it. And that's why I was getting lightheaded. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy, man. And now all of it's gone. And and have you, with the diet, um, introduced some form of like activity or walking, running, jogging? So I have uh, been walking the dog a lot, which is something I never did before. I have a, a six-year-old West Highland White Terrier Westie named Timo. He's actually named after a uh, a rally driver, his uh, his co-driver, so uh, Marcus Grunholm's dri- uh, co-driver. Okay. And and uh, he and I, unless it's too hot because we both don't like the heat, we will typically walk 
four to six miles a day. Very nice. Um, and so that helped a bit. And uh, more recently, I've started up with some weights and stuff and uh, working on building some muscle mass up now. Yeah. But uh, but for the most part, man, that was diet. That was all diet. It was just amazing. I don't think people realize how how much our food supply is not natural and has a bunch of bad stuff in it. And all you have to do is just start looking at the label like spaghetti sauce. I was looking at spaghetti sauce and I'm like, why is there this many grams of sugar in the spaghetti sauce? And I picked up another one off the shelf and it had like a fourth the amount of sugar. And I'm like, well, I'll just buy this one then. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That, I mean, that's not a sacrifice really, you know, like, right. but that's, right. a, but it just takes a second. And I'm not reading labels to be like, Oh, I have to be under this number. Just using sure. common sense. And it works. Conscious. You're being conscious. Yeah. Yep. So, and it feels, it feels a lot better. Actually, I lost so much weight that my road race Mustang, we're going to actually have to put ballast in it. Wow. Because I'm going to be under the weight minimum. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So, well, hey, at least we can put the weight where we want it. We can put it at the back of the car and down low instead of in the driver's seat. <laughs> On the left side only. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, man. So actually, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll put it in the back right-ish, depending. Well, we'll corner weight it and make sure we get it in the right spot. But yeah, we can compensate for some of it. That's cool. Well, that I gives me, that tees up a beautiful segue road racing Often yeah talked about hammer we talked to i mean i know stinger was involved in in drag racing uh particularly with uh, uh the N- nmca scene and, and nmra the- yeah nmra that was okay. due to some friends at watson racing who we'd worked with watson engineering on the gt350 program uh, and then okay. also had some interface with with them on my road race program they're really good people down there uh chuck watson is like a super super nice guy chuck watson the second junior and Chuck Watson Sr., who unfortunately just passed away, was also just one hell of a man. And they gave me an opportunity to run what was at that time the world's fastest S550 and an MRA. And I was in the nines, low nines. The car ran eights like the next day. Mm. Um, and uh, so that was a super cool opportunity that they gave me. I'm very grateful for that. But road racing is my, you want to know where my heart is? Off-road racing super cool. It's definitely number two. But you're for anticipating me? my question, so go ahead. Go for it. Finish no, what is answer. it? Well, that was just it. You've you've done you've been seat time in some in various uh, disciplines of racing, and I was yep. going to ask you. If oh, you, it's road if, racing. If there's only one that you could never road do, racing, you, road racing times a thousand. There you go. Um, it, it, it's that's not even a that's not even a just like I don't even have to make it just you know like sit there and ponder that. No, <laughs> road racing. Um funny story i mean i mean like to the point that i became just like so like so okay so when you think road racing what's the ultimate track for you uh nurberg so like yeah baddest in the world right nurberg ring well so i was very fortunate that in 2015 i got to go to the nurberg ring and uh offer some feedback during a development trip of the focus rs Mm. and that was my first experience at the ring and uh what a place that is uh it is like okay so you know how when you hype up stuff and then you go there and it's like a case of don't meet your heroes oh sure the nurburgring is the most hyped racetrack in the world right we're going to take a quick break we're only going to be gone for just about 60 seconds do you have a bucket list is there an entry on that list that reads something like drive a supercar on a racetrack Well, if so, we know how to help. Check out one of our valued corporate sponsors, Extreme Experience. They make supercars accessible to anyone. 
In fact, Extreme Experience travels to over 30 racetracks around the United States with a fleet of supercars so that anyone can drive the car of their dreams. And that fleet includes Porsches, Lamborghinis, McLarens, Ferraris, and more. Some of those exotic supercars you'll find on the website include the Ford Mustang Shelby GT500, the Corvette C8 C51, the Mercedes AMG GTR, the Porsche 911 GT3 RS, Ferrari 488 GTB, and more. Anyone over the age of 18 with a valid driver's license can drive, and those drives start at $109. There are no limiters or adjustments made to the cars so that you can get the maximum speed possible. In fact, along with your price comes a professional instructor who's sitting in the passenger seat, and they are going to be encouraging you to go faster. I've done it, and it is awesome. If you're not ready to drive or you'd like to take along friends and family for another type of thrill, well, there is a high-speed ride-along available for anyone ages 12 or older. Those start at $69. And for this season, the Charger Hellcat Y-Buddy will be used for the ride-along. So it is your turn to experience the thrill of racing an exotic supercar on a real racetrack with no speed limits and no experience necessary. Be sure to visit TheExtremeExperience.com, that's T-H-E-X-T-R-E-M-E-X-P-E-R-I-E-N-C-E.com. And let's get back to our interview. It's better than the hype. <laughs> Even though it's the most hyped place, I still can't believe a place like this exists and that <laughs> the public can just drive on this thing because like the walls are like two inches away. The speeds are nuts. It's super rough, by the way. Um, like, I swear they didn't use a road grader. They just took the paver and just ran over whatever was there. It's like a paved rally stage. Like, we had to redo wow. our entire suspension package. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, and so, you know, I went there and uh, was riding with their... the So, Team RS is the compatriot of SVT in Europe. And... Uh, it's all Ford performance these days, but anyway, and uh, I was fortunate to go over there and a guy named Paul Weigartz uh, got me involved in this trip. He's a wonderful man. Uh, and then David put was, uh, Hoot was um, there still is the, the vehicle dynamics lead over there. And uh, he takes me out in this RS and I've never been at the ring before. And we go out there during industry pool, which is when the track is closed to everybody, but manufacturers. And I'm like, this is a pinch me moment. Mm-hmm. and we're out thrashing and at this time we're actually uh he's actually working on drift mode uh that day just happened to be and so we're putting a bunch of yaw angle in these different corners and the reason we're doing it at the ring is because of the bumps and such to upset the vehicle right you know to try and upset the vehicle sure. yeah and uh we're doing this and everything's kind of cool and i'm just like it's one of the few times i've been like i trust this man with my life literally but whew, i'm a little uh I got this. I'm going to hold on here. Cause like these walls are awful close and they come mm-hmm. up real quick and Oh my goodness, I don't get scared easy, but I was like, a little pucker. Yeah. Yeah. More than a little. <laughs> and then all of a sudden a C seven Z O six with a Michigan license plate and a full cage goes roaring past us. And nothing was said in the car, but all of a sudden I noticed we stopped putting yaw angle in the car. And he flips a couple of switches and this is an early prototype. So they're like those, you know, mechanical, like, you know, clicky switches, right. You know, mm-hmm. just like drilled into the dashboard. <clears throat> and all of a sudden I noticed that this Corvette's not getting away from us and we're in a twistier part of the track. And, uh, and all of a sudden he chuckles and I was like, what? And he goes, he is annoyed with us. <laughs> and I said, how do you know? And he goes, listen, on every upshift, he clicks the limiter. <laughs> <laughs> 
he's he's banging the limiter every time he goes to upshift. And then a couple corners later, when he still can't get away from us, uh, David to be hilarious flips on the headlights just to be annoying. Um, and uh, a couple corners later, he goes, "Ha, he's pissed." And I said, "What do you mean?" And he goes, "Look, he's leaving black marks of every corner. He's he's going to the power too early." And I was like, that's hilarious. And he goes, he's pissed. He can't get away from two fat guys in a focus. <laughs> and we did. We stayed right on him. I wish that cameras were allowed, but they weren't because uh, no one would believe it. Now, granted, as soon as we got to an open, you know, anything where he could put the power down, he was gone. Right. Gone sure. and not coming back. Right. You know, mm-hmm. as soon as we got to some of the higher speed sweeper stuff and such. I mean, but it's a focus to a C7Z, right? Right, right, right. Um, not a fair fight, but you know, we held in there real good. So <clears throat> I I got bit by what I call ringworm, like right then and there. Wow. And uh, so um, the person I was with the trip with on the trip with, we were like, we got to do this on our own more. And so you can rent cars <clears throat> uh, to run during public hours. And so I asked the team RS guys, I'm like, where do you go? Where do you rent? And they go, you only go rent from this place called rent for rank. I'm like, how come? And they're like, because they, they do chassis work, they do race brakes and they do a full cage and they don't add any power. And their primary vehicle is a Suzuki Swift of all things. Okay. And, and then the advanced drivers at that time got a race prepped BMW one series that still had stock power. Right. Uh, and they're like, because power will get a newbie killed there literally because people do die at this racetrack still to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and you don't know the track well enough. So you need handling and brakes. So you only go there and safety. I'm like, okay. So I went there and rented a car and I got to know the people at rent for ring really well. And they're just amazing humans. You had a Beamer. I did. I ran a Beamer. Uh, I know on your website, the steering website, there's that white one series. I figured that's the one. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the car and so i remember at the end of that i was just i've been able to do some super cool stuff in my automotive time and i was like a five-year-old kid at christmas just giggling mm. and we came off track and we're hanging with the rent for ring guys and i said to them not so casually i said i really need to bring my mustang here and they were like yeah yeah you know da 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 and then about five years to the day later uh I picked up my car from Frankfurt airport where we flew it over on a DHL cargo plane. And I got in my fully race prep Mustang and drove it from Frankfurt to Nürburgring and pulled into the rent for ring forecourt. And it was funny. One of the owners hadn't told the other owner that I was coming and we show up on the, the weekend of the 24 hours of Nürburgring. And so, you know, like when a real small town has a giant festival and like the population triples and everybody's like, you can't park here. Oh my God, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> Yeah. So rent for ring had a, you know, customers only don't park in our forecourt, so on and so forth. Right. <clears throat> and so I just run my Mustang right down onto the forecourt. Cause I'm, I'm going to be based out of rent for ring and using their garage and stuff, but nobody told Ralph, who was one of the owners uh, that I was coming and he starts walking towards this Mustang to tell me off. And then all of a sudden he's like, Sean, and he's like, what are you do- doing here? wait, you brought your car. <laughs> and later on, I was like, so how many Americans have ever told you that they want to bring their car? And he's like, I don't know, 40 or 50. And I said, how many have done it? And he goes, you, uh-huh. it was yeah. pretty cool. I had to, I had to figure out all the legalities of bringing the car over, which was entertaining. If you want to move to Germany permanently, you can find all the information on the internet of what you need to do with your vehicle. It's all there. No problem. You want to effectively take your car on a European holiday with you. 
the internet breaks. Wow. I ended up on a call with the German consulate in Washington, D.C., and then they had to refer me to whatever the version of the DOT in Germany is. I forget the abbreviation and had to find out the legalities of, of how to drive the car over there legally, you know, and had to get special road going insurance out of London and blah, 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 blah. But it, we made it happen. And uh, we also got to run uh, spa while we were there, the F1 track in Belgium. Oh, wow. Did you know they're 90 minutes apart? The two of those tracks? No, I would have never guessed. Yeah, I know. 90 minutes on like a roads, not even on highways. It's crazy. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. Uh, by the way, I like spa even better than the ring. Spa is the coolest racetrack in the entire world. It is amazing. Well, it has uh, quite a climb to it, right? I mean, there's. That... Oh, oh, Rouge is like going up an apartment building. <laughs> it is. I swear to you. And, and to run it flat out is uh, a badge of honor. So I was like, I got to do that by the end of the day. We ended up doing that by like the third session, but it is intimidating. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But uh, it, that was cool. We were over there and uh, we were running a track day. Um, I actually got banned from the Nürburgring for three days. Um, so I had this giant rear, I have this giant rear wing on my car that sticks out all the way to the body sides. And uh, in Europe, there, it has these giant end plates on it. And um, in Europe, they're very concerned with pedestrian protection, you know, right? Okay. And uh, they were like, you're not road legal. You can't run. And I'm like, nope, nope. I am road legal. Here's all the paperwork from the DOT or whatever, you know, whatever their acronym is. Um, and I'm like, nope, I'm legal. I have to meet my home market regs and the car has to be out of the country within 31 days, so on and so forth. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. And I'm like, okay. So we took the wing off, but the car is not set up for that. Right. And so it was pretty nervous and didn't care for it and whatnot. And so one of my German buddies over there was like, look, here's the thing, put the wing back on. There's a little known second entrance about halfway around the lap. You got to pay for a whole lap, but then you can get on the track and you can use the automated lap bollard you know the thing with the the gate that opens right and then they you know by the time they realize you went through they're not going to stop you for being illegal or whatever right if you say so you're the local i'll trust you right right that was a mistake <clears throat> uh get out on track go blasting by it just so happens that i pass a marshall car at the side of the road with the lights on who's helping a stranded vehicle outstanding and i go by at full chat right you know we get up to the automated bollard i tag my card, which cost me like 35 euro. And all of a sudden this Mondeo, which is a European fusion uh, okay. with the lights on, cuts me off like a cop. And he gets out and he's angry and he points me over to the side and I pull over and I have one of the rent for ring mechanics in the, in the passenger seat. And then here comes this guy that you can tell is like one of the senior dudes, right? Older guy, he's wearing a full button down Nürburgring uh, dress shirt. He's got a radio. Yada, yada, and he comes over and he starts like screaming at me in German, screaming. Mm -hmm. And uh, the rent for ring guy is is, is uh, interpreting. He's like, "You Americans think you own the world and can do whatever, and we mm -hmm. told you that this wing is illegal, and so on and so forth." And I tried to explain the road legalness of it again. He goes, "I don't care what you think you know. This is my track. You can get the hell out for three days." Wow. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, we just spent all this money to go over here and we have a filming schedule. And oh, no. And uh, we get back to Ren for Ring and I'm like, thanks, Mark. <laughs> wow. And so fortunately, that half day counted as a full day. And then I was like, dude, you're killing me. And he, there was a track day at Spa the next day. Uh -huh. um, but it had been full for months because I was trying to get in on it. And I was like, dude, I need your help. And uh that spa track day was organized by actually one of his competitive rent competitor 
uh, rental places at the ring. But, you know, it's a small community. They're all, they all know each other and they're friends and stuff. And so he called them and just got me into the spa track day. And so we spent our second day of the ban running spa. I guess that's not such a bad punishment, is it? No. no. And I told him, I was like, Mark, I need you to talk to the track people and have it so that I can run when I get back. I mean, like, dude, you got to help me. And sure enough, he made it happen. So that was our that was our getting banned at the Nürburgring. Wow. <laughs> yeah, There's that Maverick streak we were talking about. I don't right? know what you're talking about. I love the rules. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell before we uh, we get to get to our final stretch here, tell a little bit about spa and that uh, I mean, LaRouge in the, in the climb and just the fact you're basically looking at blue sky. So you're laying back in your seat, right? Well, once you get all the way, uh, about three quarters of the way up, when you start at the base of it, your entire windshield is asphalt. No kidding. All you can see is asphalt. Um, And you have a huge run up to that corner where you're wide open throttle. I mean, I entered the corner at like mid fourth gear in my car, and that's like 130, 40 plus mile an hour. Mm. And for that track day, I happened to be on street tires i was on michelin pilot sport cup twos um and uh so that was a little entertaining because the car was made for slick you know it's, it's been built for slicks uh and tuned for slicks uh and you know i never been to spa before and so after a couple of sessions a bunch of people come down over to my pit stall and my car is rocking a michigan license plate on it <laughs> and my license plate is i'm stig i am space stig you know reference to top gear which they yeah. all know and so they're you know they're like uh-huh you're funny and then they're like oh my gosh you're fast and at that time this heavy fat american dude gets out of this mustang who's been clobbering like everybody at this track day and they're like what is this car <laughs> right. Right. if i had a nickel for every time i heard I thought the Mustangs were only for the straight line. My whole trip would have been paid for. Wow. <laughs> we actually have photo and video of me running down a McLaren Senna at Spa. That's, that's unheard of. Now, granted, you know, I don't know who was driving the P1. It may have just been some rich dude, but hey, man, I don't care. I'm going to take that one to the bank. Sure. Absolutely. So it, it was, that was a pretty cool thing. But then the icing on the cake for that whole trip, <clears throat> when I was growing up, my motorsports hero was Tommy Kendall. Uh, Motorsports Hall of Fame member, you know, IMSA, Trans Am, uh-huh. he's run Le Mans, you know, uh, American Le Mans. I mean, he is, he's run real Le Mans in France. Um, he was just the coolest dude in the world. And through a random set of events again, uh, I got to meet him and then become friends with him. And I asked him, I said, hey, would you like to come run the ring with us because he hadn't run a full lap of the ring he'd been over there to film tv shows and they would run like one section at a time you know but he'd never run a contiguous lap gotcha and he he came with us and so he drove the car his name's on my car like it says sean day and tommy kendall above the driver door Mm -hmm. and that was another like complete pinch me moment um he's going to give me grief for saying all this because he's just like i'm not that big a deal and i'm like yes you are that big a deal would you stop (laughs) um and uh, nicest guy in the world, by the way. Uh, and so he'd never driven my car before. He'd never driven a contiguous lap of the ring before. And he gets in my car. I'm riding shotgun. So he's got a whole bunch of ballast in the passenger side. And, uh, you know, the ring taxis, you pay to get a ride in a car at the Nürburgring by a, by a pro driver who knows the ring. You're mm-hmm. familiar with that? 
Yes. So we ran down a 911 GT3 RS ring taxi. What? In my car with Tommy behind the wheel. Wow. It ended up like we're catching people so fast. He's like, where's the headlight switch? (laughs) And I'm like, rotary rotary dial left side. You need the uh, go all the way to the right and then go back one. Uh, Because it had auto. So back to headlights. And then I'm like, and then take the turn signal stock and just push it forward. (laughs) And we just left the high beams on. Get the hell out the way. And he, and I've got video of it. It's up on our YouTube. And he just destroyed everything. Just destroyed. And the, the, the ring taxi guy afterwards he's like what in the and he recognized tommy and he's like oh you son of a bitch <laughs> right right holy oh it was really cool man it was that was a, a you want to talk about bucket list that was you know people ask me what's on my bucket list and i'm like well i mean i've got a few things there but like i already achieved number one like that was just amazing oh wow yeah that's pretty cool man i really really like that well how can you not i mean you right you- you have, you've experienced many things that folks can only dream of. You've mentioned about I am Stig. That's one of the things that you and I have talked before. And I would love if you wouldn't mind uh, as we, we get to the, the final stretch. When I say these three names, everyone's <clears throat> going to say some of the best uh, uh, comedic and just dynamic. But as far as when you talk Jeremy Clarkson, uh, you talk oh, yeah. May, Richard Hammond, you have a personal story worth sharing. I actually got to work with them on an episode of the grand tour, which is just crazy. Um, So I've been a huge top gear fan since like 2004, three, I used to torrent the episodes. I I, I sound like a hipster where I'm like, I liked them before they were cool, but I really did. (laughs) And so I was deep in top gear in like 2004, 2005, somewhere in that neighborhood, like just a couple of years after the, the, the new format started. And, uh, Never in my wildest dreams did I ever think I would get to meet them. And as a matter of fact, the day that I met them and started working with the Grand Tour, when I woke up that morning, I didn't even know they were in the United States of America. <laughs> mm. um, I uh, went into the chiropractor, which normally takes like 10 minutes, but for whatever reason, it took like 40 that day. And I had accidentally left my phone in the car. And I come out from the chiropractor, my phone has like 20 voicemails and like 60 text messages. I'm like, what in the Somebody world? Somebody wants your attention. Yeah. <laughs> and it turned out that the, the production crew thought that they fried the clutch in the RTR Mustang uh, by doing a donut scene in a theater and they thought they were being too hard on it or whatever. And so it's right after the 2018 Mustang had come out and it had a new clutch for that year. And uh, none of the dealers had them because they were sold out of stock and stuff. And people just knew I knew how to source things. Mm-hmm. And somehow, like, the, the team Mustang marketing people who I'm friends with and such didn't even know that Top Gear was in town. I don't know how that disconnect happened. But I'm calling them and I'm like, uh, and they're like, uh, I'm like, do you want me to just fix this problem? And they're like, can you? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, just fix it. And I'm like, okay, I got to go by. And I got on the phone with a friend of mine who works at, uh, at an aftermarket clutch company. And I was like, do you have a clutch for the 18 car developed yet? He's like, no. And he goes, but I might have an OEM one that we bought to take a look at on the shelf somewhere, but I got to go look, I don't know where it is. And I'm like, can you do that? And he's like, well, I'm not at the building, but I'll be back in an hour. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Sounds good. I get off the phone with him and I realize I need to dual path this. So 
you know, I've launched a couple of Shelby's down at the Flat Rock assembly plant. I got a long history with that place, a special place for me. Uh, you know, my car was presented to me there and then I went down there to launch the Shelby's and stuff. So that place means a lot to me. Um, so I called a friend down there, told him what was going on. And I'm like, I'm already on the highway on my way to you. I need you to pull one off the line right now. And I'm like, give me a flex plate. Give me the full clutch, the whole night. Give me a throw out bearing. Give me, you know, uh, also known as a CSC concentric slave cylinder. And I'm like everything. And I'll be there in, I don't know. And I was running some psycho speed down the highway and, uh, and I got there and sure enough, they've got a shipper, which is the paperwork to take stuff out of the plant, you know, and I grabbed new parts right off, the, right out of the assembly plant Wow! and started flying back. And I get a, a bay hooked up at one of our shops that supports some of our marketing vehicles and such. And then I, I sprint down to Detroit where they're, where they're working on this. And a friend of mine, uh, Seth, who I worked with at SVT, I actually recruited him there out of GM performance of all places. Uh, manual trans expert. He taught me how to do things like check the, res the clutch reserve, which is, you know, how much is it disengaged by when, uh, when you press the pedal and making sure that the synchros are actually disengaging and such. And so I went down there and, and checked that on the RTR and also overall grip and turned out the clutch was fine. It did, it, they did burn it a little. So they heard they smelled it, but it was more robust than they thought. And it, it still had its full clamp power. Okay. And as I'm, as I'm doing this test, uh, Jeremy Clarkson was actually like really interested in the technical of what I was doing, which, you know, based on his persona on the show, I was surprised by. And, uh, after I declare the car good and whatnot, he then looks at me and he asks me personally, one-to-one, -one, he goes, can you please stay, uh, just in case anything else happens with the car? And I'm like, yeah, I think I can handle that. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll hang out with you guys. And then he goes, he goes, well, I mean, we're still filming for three more days. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can make that work. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, I spent that night with them in the Michigan theater when they're doing the donuts and doing the, the revving inside the building for who was the loudest. And then <clears throat> I remember that episode. That's such a good yep. one too. Mm -hmm. And then uh, end up out at dinner with the cast and crew. And I'm just like, this is another, what in the world is happening moment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so then two days later, we're doing the, the, the circuit around the uh, warehouse scene. And so I know that they're going to road race the car. So I then source literally anything that could break on that year Mustang while road racing, even if you hit something, right? Like, so say you slide into a curb and you break like a rear lower control arm or a toe link or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. I have complete assemblies in the back of my car hubs into knuckles and control arms and half shafts and brakes and mm -hmm. all the tools to change it all in real time i came loaded with like half a mustang behind me wow um just in case right you know and the car ended up not needing a thing but you know it was just like this is super cool so yeah that was a moment that i never saw coming and was a dream come true That's and by the way they're funnier in person by a factor of like three than they are on the show wow yeah and don't you think it's almost uh, one of those blue moon dynamics where they're both, I mean, all three of them are funny people, but I think together it's just nothing quite like it. That dynamic. I don't know that it'll ever be replicated. Yeah. I, you can't, you can't buy that. In fact, no, yeah. <laughs> no, no, you can't. And, and, and I mean, it is serious. The dynamic between those three, it's rad. Oh my God. It was, it was a cool thing, man, Darren. It was, and, and again, like I didn't see it coming when I woke up that morning, I didn't know how that day was going to end up. That's for sure. 
Well, this this goes back to, and this brings everything full circle in a way with the interview itself, but how well said, and I'm going to keep giving you that wisdom card. Oh, goodness. With And, I, and I'm saying it because <laughs> it's that non-prescriptive. I mean, at, at a point where you almost have to just go with the current and look at some of the coolest things, uh, not a lot of those weren't planned. And they no. And again, it was whatever. It's always whatever it takes to do the right thing. Right. That's true. Um, you know, and uh, <clears throat> my one of my Alex, my supervisor at SVTs, he told me two things that have stuck with me. And he goes, he goes, sometimes doing the right thing means not doing the right thing. And I'm like, huh? And he goes, sometimes doing the right thing, you got to break some rules. You got to crack some eggs. You got to do whatever. But it's it's still doing the right thing. And I'm like, well, that's fair. And then the second thing he told me was you're unfireable if you are on the side of angels. And when I'm like, what? And he's like, well, angels are our customers. And he's like, if you are doing the right thing by the customer, you are unfireable. He goes, you may stunt your career by, you know, pissing off somebody higher than you or, you know, whatever. Right. He goes, but you're unfireable if you were genuinely doing what is best for the customer and you are unapologetic about it. He goes, you might stunt your career, but you can't get fired. You're here. That's really good. And that's what that was with the Mustang, with that, with that, with that grand tour thing, right? You know, like you don't walk parts off the assembly line. Like there's so many procedures and this and that and the other thing. And I'm like, look, I don't have time for any of this right now. Like literally just pull it off the line or I'm going to come steal it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we can, we can handle the consequences and the hearings and stuff like that later, but like, Mm -hmm. let's go. Mm -hmm. So that's amazing. So yeah, man, it's pretty cool. It's a fun time. I enjoy it, you know, and I get a chance to, to go to all these events with the enthusiasts and such. And I see the, the passion that they have for our vehicles and, and how much they mean to them. Yeah. Um, and it makes all the late hours, all the blood, sweat, tear sacrifices. I know this sounds so cliche, but it makes it all completely worth it. And it makes you feel very gratified and whole in what you're doing. Um, it's very fulfilling when you realize that like you're actually impacting people's lives. Mm-hmm. And my favorite is the kids watching the light, you know, like, a, you know, an eight year old or whatever, a 10 year old watching their eyes light up around the race cars and stuff. That's why I always have time for the kids. Cause you know, some awesome people did that for me, like Bob Chandler, a Bigfoot. Um, you know, that was, that was my, like, I'm home moment in motorsports when I was like seven or eight, we were at the Pontiac Silverdome. And uh, Jim Cramer, their number one driver, he let me do the steering wheel on, I think it was Bigfoot three um, <clears throat> during the national anthem parade. Oh. And I'm sitting on his lap and, you know, he's doing the, the brakes and the gas and the rear steer and I'm getting to do the steering wheel. And it was just like, wow. moment change, it changed my life. It changed my life. And so whenever I see a kid like, you know, oogling over the race car or, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and you always hear the parents like, Oh no, don't touch. And I'm like, I'll, I'll just drop what I'm doing. And I'm like, you want to get in? Yeah. And then I'm like, you want to start it? And it's wow. like, you're risk, you're risking a $20,000 race motor or a $25,000 race motor. Right. Don't care. Like whatever, I'll figure that out. If you know, like this kid thinks it's cool, let's do it. Um, and there was one time I was actually at an event and I was talking with and courting a potential sponsor for a significant amount of money. And I interrupted him in the middle of a sentence because what I just described happened. And I'm like, I'll be back. And I didn't have any remorse, you know, and I ended up, we ended up landing that deal, but it was like, I'll get back to you. Like mm-hmm. we can talk anytime, but this kid isn't going to be here at any time. So I'll be back. 
Now, you have probably planted more seeds than you realize and, and uh, made those impressionable moments matter. So that's, hey, that's if I could have any impact, I hope I did, you know, but like if, if there's even a, a, a remote chance, then I'm in. Yeah. Well, as my late grandmother used to say, leave every person, place and situation just a little better than you found it. Oh, I like her. Yeah. I, I try and live by a motto of I, I if I, I always try and go to bed a better person than I woke up. And that could be the smallest of thing, right? You know, um, that could be the absolute smallest of thing, you know, whatever that may be, but just always strive for constant improvement because we can, all of us, we can always be better. Absolutely. No, that's, that's so critical. And I, and I really hope Sean, that you, uh, want to come back, love to have a follow on part two, part three to this. And Oh, I would love to, but I was looking at your, your line of previous guests and I'm like, what are you doing talking to me? No, my gosh. No, I, that's, I feel, I feel honored to talk to every person. uh, It's sometimes I wonder, wow, I'm, I'm honored that they, they want to be on the show. I was thrilled. I, when I got the invite from you, I was like, this is cool. Wow. It's uh it won't be the last. And I, I've said to oh, you before, cool. when I get up to uh, the Detroit area, we got to hang out. Oh, first beers on me, man. And then uh, I've got some fun stuff to, to have, let you horse around with. You know, we got we still have some cool cars. I still have some cool cars laying around and, <laughs> you know, F-150 Lightnings and, and wow. Mustang race cars. And I have a strange T-Bird obsession. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I'm actually a T-Bird guy, first and foremost. I've owned more T-Birds than anything else. And they still have my heart more than anything else. Okay. Uh, yeah yeah i specifically like the the last of them the, which are not the popular ones the you know you know the super coupe body style i do so I really at do. at the end of that production run the 96 the hood, right uh no that was the turbo coupes that was the box turbo, okay. I'm, I'm thinking the wrong thing then no the super coupes were the really long ones uh they were like really long okay. um they have doors that are about seven miles long Okay. Uh, well, the last year that they built them was 97. And I had one of those when I was working at it, uh, something we didn't touch on. I started off with Ford at 16 years old, sweeping floors in a dealership and worked my way from the bottom up because I wanted to understand Ford from the true bottom up. But anyway, I bought one of those T-Birds when I was working at that dealership and fell in love with it. And I'm now in the process of building a replica. Well, I'm sorry, it looks the same-ish as my high school car right now, but I'm going to take and build this car into the most concentrated bucket of evil. I can possibly make an, an entire automobile. I'm going to take everything I've ever learned and throw it at this one car, even though it's a terrible car to do that with, right? It's not necessarily the most desirable. It's not well necessarily well-loved in the enthusiast community. Mm-hmm. And I could care 0% because it makes mm-hmm. me happy. Mm-hmm. Well, so. it, it may end up being quite the, uh, quite the sleeper and, uh, Oh yeah. We're shooting for like 1200 wheel. So yeah, it'll be a sleeper. (laughs) What, uh, when do you think this thing will hit the, hit the boulevard? Oh, who knows, man, with the, with the hiccups, you know, the, the bumps in the road Sure. so far, you know, I'm still, still working through one last, uh, major personal disruption that happened right at the start of my, my time at Ford, but you know, there's always some challenge you need to overcome. Right. But, uh, we'll get, we'll get through this one, you know, and come out, a better person on the other side for it. Lots to learn. Um, but so I don't a hundred percent know, but I'm going to take whatever time it takes to make it dead. Right. And, uh, and this thing will be evil when I'm done. <laughs> Can't wait to, uh, be scared to death in the, in the past. <laughs> <few days. laughs> 
I hear you, man. So <laughs> thanks again for having me. I really had fun with this. This was really cool. No, Sean, it was a real honor. And I can't wait to have you come back on. This will be just part one in, in a series for sure. So oh, goodness. thank you, man. It's been, it's been great having you on the CFC show. Thanks so much, Darren. I'll talk with you soon, buddy. All right, brother. From Studio A, I'd like to extend a big thank you to Sean Day for being a friend of the Cars of Carlisle Network and giving of his time to be on this show. And as a matter of fact, Mr. Day and I have already been jotting notes on a sequel episode, or maybe even episodes, with many more stories. In fact, Sean, can't wait to have you back. All right, friends, it is now time to bring the GT350 into the pits so we can cover this episode's trivia answer. As you recall, earlier in the show, I had asked the multiple choice question of, the King of the Hammers race is found in what motorsport discipline? Was it A, land speed record, B, off-road, C, road circuit, D, drag racing? The answer is B, off-road. The King of the Hammers race is an off-road race that combines both rock crawling and desert racing. And and thanks to some Wikipedia uh, background, found out it is held in February of each year on Means Dry Lake, and that is in Johnson Valley, California. In fact, they have uh, been racing there going all the way back now to 2007 when uh, founders Dave Cole and Jeff Knoll were uh, in a bar and they planned this whole thing out on a napkin, quite literally. The race itself brings tens of thousands of spectators who descend upon Johnson Valley. Um, It's it's in the uh, Bureau of Land Management area near Yucca Valley. Uh, And for a week, so it's... uh, I think it ends up being about nine days. The Means Dry Lake bed turns into uh, what the uh, those who spectate affectionately call Hammer Town, and what that brings is almost 400 racing teams and 60,000 spectators for that week plus of racing, and it includes everything from quads and dirt bikes, side by sides, uh, UTVs or utility task vehicles, four wheel drive, the works. So King of the Hammers is uh, quite an event. And what makes it really special is the fact that it blends both rock crawling as well as uh, desert racing. So the the vehicles have to be set up to be able to handle both. In fact, the race, uh, they start all the participants at 30 second intervals and then they have to go nearly 50 to 60 miles um, on a set race course to their their very first rock climb. It is quite the multi-discipline racing. Check that out, look into that a little bit more. It's uh, pretty fascinating, and and thanks to Sean for telling us more about that. Well, my friends, we are at the end of this show. We truly enjoy having you hang out with us time and time again. You truly are an integral part of the road trip journey, and we thank you for putting the word out, for being a fan, and letting others know about this. Can't wait to have you come back next time, and in the interim, don't forget, this is truly your podcast. It really is all about car community, car culture. For now, I'll sign off with drive well, be well, take care.